Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We are in the book of James. This is week two of a 10-week series where we get to work through the entire letter of James verse by verse. And I'm uh, just really excited to be in uh, this book, this letter with you. And one of the things that we're gonna do each week is uh, at the uh, beginning of the messages, we're gonna read the entire context of where we're gonna be in the morning. So this morning, we've got 17 verses, five paragraphs, and we wanna read it all at first. Uh, in part because one thing that's helpful as you read your Bible, the basic unit of thought in your Bible is the paragraph. And so uh, I would even encourage you to memorize scripture in paragraph form. A lot of times we reach for singular verses or we get an email verse of the day. Um, That's fine, but the basic unit of thought in your Bible is the paragraph. And we wanna make sure we read things in their full context. Also, Specifically in the book of James, uh, James sometimes has this uh, uh, reputation of being just kind of wisdom kind of stacked around and on top of each other. And, And there is a lot in James that is just incredible wisdom. But I think the more we read it in its entirety, we'll begin to see that there's a little more linear thinking to James's writing than maybe at first glance. And so we want to continue to dive in and read the letter of James up front. Now, we will not read all five chapters like we did last week, but we are gonna read the first five paragraphs of James chapter one. And so let's dive in together. James one, verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
It's the letter of James, the first 17 verses, or at least verses two through 18. And uh, just a reminder of what we kept repeating last week, and we're going to keep repeating it throughout the nine weeks, is James is showing us how to live a single-minded, stable, and undefiled life. This is James's goal as he continues to write us his purpose. He's going to show us these things. And then the second thing to continue to remember is he's writing a group of Jewish believers, Messianic Jews in the early church who are facing persecution on the outside and they're facing hypocrisy and confusion uh, and and, and false teaching on the inside. And so this is the, the letter that James is writing. And so as he's writing this group of people that are dispersing out after some of the persecution that's happening in Jerusalem, you begin to see some of the things that are happening in the early churches. They spread out over the Middle East and even beyond. One of the things that James is gonna address right away is, hey, when believers don't act like believers, it causes problems in the church. And this was true, especially in the early church. And so this is what James is, is kind of getting at is, hey, we need believers to act like believers. And so he writes this letter. And that's not unlike what we need today this idea of believers acting like believers. And so hold that thought for a second because let me just pull the room real quick. How many, uh, any 90s Christian music fans in the room this morning? Okay, we got a few. Anyone familiar with the old uh, DC Talk album, Jesus Freak? See some hands? Okay, this one connects with a lot of people. Um, But uh, a couple things stick out to me about this album. I don't know if they're the same things for you. The first is that rap riff from uh, Jesus Freak, right? Do you need me to sing it for you just to kind of get in the mood, right? I I always forget where to start, but it's his belly wiggled around like marmalade jelly. It took me a while to catch what he said because what? I had to match the rhythm of his belly with my head. I don't know why it was. I love that rap riff. I, I sang it at the top of my lungs in my car. I'm a obviously terrible at singing, but man, I love that rap riff. The second notice, uh, notable thing in that album was, uh, for, at least for me, was a song called What If I Stumble? And uh, it was a really, it was a hopeful song in itself, just addressing, just re- being reminded of what Christ has accomplished for us. But if you remember on that album, there was this haunting quote at the very beginning of the song. It was from uh, the Christian author, Brennan Manning. And the quote before that song was this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so the same thing that James is addressing with the early church of, hey, we need believers to act like believers is the same issue that we face today in the American church and even at City Bridge. The greatest threat is when we don't act like we are called to act. And so that's what we're gonna jump into. When we think about James, we are gonna keep leaning in each week to go, how are believers supposed to act? That's the great need that James is addressing and it's still a great need for us today. Now look, this week, I just read five paragraphs. We've got a lot of ground to cover. But the big picture of what I want to accomplish today, what I hope we can accomplish today is for believers to act like believers, we've got to be able to handle our trials and our temptations. 
in a way that honors God. And so those are the two things that we're primarily gonna dive into. We're gonna look at each paragraph in its turn. And so I'll give you a little just preview if this is helpful on where we're going today as the five paragraphs of what we're up to. But if you notice the first top, we're gonna look at trials. We'll take a little interlude. I'll tell you what we're gonna do then. And then in the bottom half, we're gonna look at temptations. And so we're gonna look at trials and temptations and how believers are supposed to act with each one. And so let's dive in and begin to work back through our passage as we look at first the spiritual value of trials. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I mean, that is a hammer right out of the gate, especially for the early Christian church that they are getting persecuted and there's any number of things coming at them. And James's first words to them is count it all joy. I mean, that is a incredible hammer. But like we said uh, last week, that um, the book of James is, is referencing a lot of times the Sermon on the Mount. And so these are echoing Jesus's words from Matthew 5, 11 through 12 as well. Let me read those for the context. It says, blessed are you, Christ's words here, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, take joy and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Both Jesus and James are leaning into us because they know in our flesh, we count it all joy when we escape trials, right? In our flesh, all that we do is count it all grief when trials come our way. But James and Jesus are going, no, 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 no. There's a different way by which to view these. And I read verse two and I'm telling you, I, I read it and I'm like, is this even possible? Is verse two even possible? And then I met Sue Bolin. And now I'm without excuse. And for those of us that got to see Sue this morning, we're without excuse too. It's clearly possible. Now, without faith, verse two is impossible. Make no bones about it. Without faith, it is impossible to do verse two. But with faith, verse two is a command. It is a command to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is how, as believers, we are to act. Now, I'm gonna give you some words. We've got to define some words in order to, to best unlock this passage. The first is, let's just define the word joy. Because sometimes we have the wrong definition of joy in our head. We think, well, does that mean I'm supposed to find my trials pleasant or, or even fun? That's not, that's not what James is asking for. But as we know, joy is not found in circumstances. Joy is found in a person. And that person is Christ. And so just like last week, let me remind you Psalm 16. In the pathway of life, there is fullness of joy. In the pathway of life, if we'll walk it with God, and he tells us in that path, there will be trouble. He has made that very clear. There is still trouble along the pathway of life. But the gift is that he goes with us. And that's what helps produce joy in the process. Joy is found in God's presence and not our circumstances. Now, it says when you meet trials of various kinds, what might that mean? What's potentially in view here? And just to be on the same page, because I think it will be helpful for even the rest of the message, there's kind of three buckets of trials. Uh, the first is kind of world-inflicted trials. This is life in a fallen world. This is life in a post-Genesis 3 world could be death, it could be disease, it could be natural disasters, it could be any number of things, but this is just life in a fallen world. The second is we've got others inflicted trials. This would be 
persecution by others. This is harms that others have caused you. And then the third, the one that many of us are probably well acquainted with are these self-inflicted trials, the trials that we bring on ourselves, the consequences that we produce for our own behavior. And so that's kind of what's in view here in this verse. And it begs the question, okay, okay, James, supposed to count it all joy, but why in the world should we do that? James is gonna answer that question for us. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. One more word to unpack here. What does that word steadfastness mean? It's a great Greek compound word. It, uh, the word is hypomonin. Hypo meaning to go under, like think hypodermic needle goes under the skin. Monin is a common Greek word, a Greek word which means to remain. And so he's, so he's calling us to remain under the heavy load. Remain under it, don't flee, don't run. One commentator said it means keeping your feet while there's a storm overhead. And it's this reminder to us of so often, right? A trial comes at us and the first tendency is to, to get out of it. If work isn't going how we want it to do, sometimes it's like we start looking online for a new job. Or if a community group, you hit a little struggle, it's like, well, maybe there's, maybe there's hope elsewhere or a different church or any number of other things. And God's first call to us is, no, be steadfast, remain under it. Let's see what I have for you in it. I remember um, when I first kind of was given that charge in a way that I actually listened to it, um, it was in a season when, to be very clear, I was not a believer. I was a believer, but I was not acting as a believer. Many of you know my story. It's out there if you want to go listen to it. But just briefly, I was a believer, not acting like I was a believer. And I was lying, I was deceiving, I was stealing money from the place where I was working and I was in a, just a dark place and self-inflicted trials were on the horizon. And by the grace of God, at the very beginning of 2015, I confessed. And maybe the best piece of advice I got was from a friend who gave me two words. The day after I confessed, he looked at me and said, don't run. Everything in you's gonna tell you to get out of town, flee the church, maybe move to a different state. Don't run. If you will remain under this, if you'll listen to godly counsel, if you won't flee the pain that you've caused, if you will stay here and live it out, walk it, it will be a gift to you, I think, and even to the rest of us that begin to watch your steadfastness sprout up out of nowhere. Because when trials pass through the Lord's hands, they're like an input. And on the other side uh, is an output of steadfastness. But it's not the only output. Let's keep reading. It says in verse four that, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Lord's design with, with, with trials, the spiritual value is he's moving us towards spiritual maturity, both here both uh, here and now, and then even into the future. Now, again, if you were here last week, we talked about the 54 commands of James, right? And there was this idea, it was like, hey, remember, we're gonna immerse ourselves in these so that our what was evident to our, our progress, right? Not our perfection, but James is calling us to be perfect here. And it's where we have got to remind ourselves that we have this American view of, of being perfect. This, I've got to ace the test. It's got to be 100 out of 100, flawless. That's how we view the word perfect. 
But James's audience would have known he was talking about maturity. He was talking about letting God complete the work that he began. The, the words even have this connotation of being held intact, undamaged, and even the word undefiled, which is why we keep repeating that. And so we take a look at these three verses and we just have to continue to remind ourselves that there is spiritual value in the trials that God has for us. Trials are not some enemy that need to be stared down and avoided because of the frustrations they bring. There is something incredible that God wants to do with them. And so I'd encourage you, don't pray to get out of your trials. Don't just pray to get out of your trials. First pray to get out of your trials what God would have for you, which is steadfastness and maturity and completion we will never become single-minded, stable, and undefiled followers of Jesus without trials. It just won't happen. And so if you wanna be more like Christ, buckle up for the trials. Now, I know in a room this size, there are a ton, thousands of trials happening. And so just for a second, I want you to think of what's the biggest one going on. And we all have several of different shapes and sizes and lengths and any number of degrees of severity. But I just want to think, I want you to think of your hardest trial right now. And instead of just looking at it, just I want you to think for a second to what would it be like if you would begin to look through it and to look through that trial? And what if that trial would become one of God's great triumphs in your life? I want you to think about that and then just go, okay, Lord, the prayer is, Lord, do whatever you have to do in order to see me through that trial. That's what God, there's, he's got value in whatever trial you have going on. And if you will walk in a faithful way, I'm telling you, an unbelieving world will go, whoa, whoa. That's unbelievable. And it will be a part of the story. And they will ask you why, how in the world, why in the world would you have that type of response? And you get to celebrate the God that's walked with you through the trial. Now, how do we practically do this? Where can we at least start? How can we move from being unstable in times of trial to becoming stable or at least begin to look at trials through the lens of God's eye? Let, James calls us next to, to seek wisdom. And so let's read it together in verse five. Says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. In some ways, I wish we could just linger here for about 20 minutes, but let me give you three truths from these, this verse and a half. The first is God wants to give you wisdom generously. He's not playing hide and seek. We don't have to wonder what he's up to. We've got a lot of places that we get to go to find the wisdom. Two, I love the phrase, he gives generously. And then it says, without reproach, without finding fault is the definition of that. It's like, even if you are double-minded and defiled and unstable, he's like, come, I'm, I'm ready to dispose of my wisdom. You don't have to clean yourself up in order to receive God's wisdom. He's ready to give his wisdom right here, right now to those that are ready to begin to ready to trust in him. And then the third is God in his economy, he does want us to ask him two times. He says, ask, ask. But then he adds that, that we are to ask in faith. 
And he contrasts, James is gonna contrast faith with doubt. Doubting is this idea uh, in, in the scriptures in the Greek word that has this double, double-mindedness. It's this divided motive. And he says, don't ask like that. You ask with a single-minded motive that you're gonna follow through on my wisdom. It's what James is getting at. And so it matters, right? Where we get our wisdom. Where are we running to for God's wisdom? Any, many of us, and I've gone through those seasons where I run to anything but God. I'll run to podcasts, I'll run to pundits, I'll run to my friends that still have maybe well-intentioned advice, but it's not rooted in God's word. The voices that lead us matter. And we've got to be careful about what voices we let in. Second Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so we say consistently here that God has given us his spirit for those of us believers that, that live inside us, he's given us his word and he's given us his people to walk with us. And so we lean on those three sources of wisdom over and over and over again. Now, if I take you back to 2015, after I had confessed, I remember being committed that year to going, look, I have quenched God's spirit in my life for so long that I'm not even sure I can discern his voice if he was speaking to me. And I don't even trust maybe how I might interpret some of this. And so I would read this book, but more than anything, I stayed steadfast. I remained under the counsel of godly people. And for at least a full year, I just was like, whatever God's people call me to do, to walk in repentance, I'm gonna do it. And that year, that was one of the best things I did. And I'll just tell you, I look up six, seven years later and anecdotally, People ask me all the time, how do I know if my friend's gonna get better? How do I know if I'm on the right path? Anecdotally, I'll just tell you, just from my own observations, when people are willing to begin to listen to God's counsel, listen to the counsel of God's people, whether it's self-inflicted trials or maybe it's just the pain that others have caused, when you're beginning to listen to the counsel of God's people, it's usually a really good sign that you're on your way to becoming healthy and single-minded and stable. Because so often I've watched people come in desperate for a season. And then before long, they, they return to their own wisdom and ways. And I've watched it again and again. And don't let that be you. Come back. Because James is about to issue us a warning as to what happens when we leave his sources of wisdom. It says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and he becomes unstable in all his ways. And if you need a picture for this, I mean, you, you have no reason to look further than just the world itself. We talked about it over and over again in the worldview series. The world is double-minded. There's different motives for different moments. And not to linger along here, but sometimes the world's like, it's science. We're going to claim science because it's convenient for our cause. And sometimes the world's like, it's feelings. Let's rely on our feelings because it's our feelings that will help us know what's true in this moment. And the world's double-minded and we get all sorts of instability from that approach. But it shouldn't shock us when an unbelieving world acts unbelievably. But it should concern us as believers when we don't act like believers. And so we've got to remain steadfast. We've got to ask in faith. And one of the things that I consistently see as I've walked with people is we can get into this habit of blaming our circumstances for our behavior, 
We can blame a trial. We can blame any number of other things for what I'll even just be more specific about is disobedience. Or for some of us that have created our own trials, our own self-inflicted trials, we begin to hate the consequences more than the sin that got us in that spot to begin with. And that's a really bad spot to be in. And so come back. Now in a room this size, again, I know that there are a lot of things that have happened in this room. And there's a lot of questions about where were you, God? Or where are you, God, even right now? We say often here that no amount of scrutiny affects the truth. And a lot of times that gets applied to non-believers in the room or skeptics in the room. And that's true. But it's also for the believer. No amount of scrutiny will affect the truth. And so if you've got anger at God, if you have frustration with God, if you have the where were you, God, questions, We want to walk with you. Bring your questions, bring your anger, and we will walk with you. Tuesday night has this reputation of being the night of regeneration. There's so much more that happens on Tuesday nights than regeneration. We have have a, a ministry called Divorce Recovery where we're walking with people through the pain of divorce. And there's all types of questions that bubble up with that. We have we have ministries where we walk with people on Tuesday night that have lost a loved one. And we walk through that grief with people and it's okay, bring your questions, bring your fears, bring your anger, it's okay. We've got ministries that walk with people through just abuse that's happened in their life or any number of other things, infertility and so many other topics. No amount of scrutiny affects the truth. And so let's go seek God's wisdom together as to best determine how to walk with you through the trial that God has put before you. Now, Verse nine, it does sure like, sure looks like James kind of flips the script for a second. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This, this paragraph is kind of smack dab in the middle of, of, of a, breaking up this idea of trials and temptations. And we're gonna come back to this idea of riches versus poor in future weeks. And so there's a couple things that just to kind of frame what I think's happening here. One, uh, and, and, and either idea, idea may be right or maybe both ideas are right. The first is that um, some commentators believe that the Jews in particular were facing socioeconomic persecution. And so James kind of puts this paragraph in here to as to call out one of the specific trials that the Messianic Jews were going through. That's very much a possibility. The other possibility of maybe what's happening here, and maybe they both work together, is these first three paragraphs are three themes that James is going to keep coming back to throughout the letter. The first being trials, the second being wisdom, and the third being this idea of rich versus poor. And so uh, either one might work, but that said, the, the theme of rich versus poor, we're gonna save that for a little bit later. Come back May 15th, come back later in James and James four and five, and we'll begin to undress this a little bit. Uh, but I will say, um, In case you're wondering, just to prepare our hearts in reading this letter as we keep reading it each and every week in order to prepare your heart, I'm 99.9% sure that we are the rich people that James is addressing in the letter. 
And so read that letter accordingly. Maybe we're not, we don't feel rich in our particular land at this particular moment, but in the context of the world and all the different aspects that we can look at, I think James, if he were here, would be like, oh, wow, I've got a ripe audience for this message. We'll come back to it. Now, James begins to then move on to temptations. And so let's look at it together. But before he gets into temptations, he's gonna make a summary thought. And let's look at that. Verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James is restating verses two through four. And then he's kind of adding one final thought. He's giving us the final completion of what he views as the spiritual value of trials. And it's this chain of virtues that's saying with God, if you'll walk with God with your trials, look at what happens. Trials with God will lead to steadfastness, which will then lead to maturity, which then leads to life. It's this chain of virtues that James is calling out for us to pay attention to. Now, it also says this idea of crown of life. What might that mean? Now, there's a lot there. There's, there's definitely some eternal implications there, but I think there's also a present day reality. And I don't know if you caught it when Sue mentioned it, but she talked about her, her trials have made her see other people differently. And it's attracted other people to want to learn from her and be discipled from her. It's, it's made her sensitive to those that are so-called less than or marginalized, or any number of other things. And that's also gonna be a theme that we see in James' letter. The trials that God brings in us begin to give us eyes to see others differently. And James is gonna call us to do that, whether it's widows, or whether it's orphans, or whether it's the poor, he wants us to begin to see people for who he made, for who God made them to be. Now, there's a little chain of virtues that that, uh, James has given us for, uh, for, for trials. And then on the flip side, he's gonna give us a chain of virtues, so to speak, for what happens with temptations apart from God. Let's read verses 13 through 15 together. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And if you need an image for that, I would guess that you have no further to look than your own self. I've lived out verses 14 and 15, and I'm guessing you have too. I'll come back to 13 here in a second, but just to be clear, temptation is not sin. To be tempted in this life is a product of a fallen world. It's the world inflicted trial that we have to go through. And in fact, if we'll respond to that temptation in a way that, that, that is God honoring, it actually be- then becomes a trial and sends us up to that first line that leads to steadfastness and maturity in life. But if we don't respond to temptation as we are supposed to, it leads to other things. And it's this picture of, man, all sin leads to death. We say it often, the way of sin is downhill you let sin creep into your, you let temptation creep into your heart as a desire and you are now on a slippery path 
that leads to sin and ultimately leads to death. And it is this reminder, and James is not gonna make any bones about it. We cannot be a people that trifle with sin because sin kills It destroys individuals, it destroys marriages, it destroys relationships, it destroys families, it destroys churches, it destroys countries. Sin kills. And in a room this size, there's some of us in here that are trifling with it. We're nibbling, if not being completely lured in. And we gotta be careful. And we've got to begin to raise our hands and go, Lord, I I need help. I need out of this. Because the way of sin is downhill and to trifle with it is not fitting for a believer. That's not how believers act. Believers are to make war against it, not trifle with it. And so what do we do? What if we do if we find ourselves somewhere on that path, temptation or desire or sin or even death, what do we do? We turn back to our gracious God. Let's read about him. And let me start in verse 13 and then I'll hop to 16 because 13 reminds us the reason we're being tempted is not God's fault. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And maybe that's why James in verse 16 then says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters, because every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In this letter of orthopraxy, that is some incredible language about how great our God is. Don't miss it. God is not responsible for your temptations. God is the God of regeneration. God is the God of sanctification. God is the God of salvation, not temptation. And he's such a good God that he has a good and perfect gift waiting for us wherever we are on that chain. If we find ourselves stuck in temptation, he's got a way out. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Us believers in the room, we have this good and perfect gift called the Holy Spirit that just kind of sends off warning signals when we find ourselves in a moment that we shouldn't be in or about to say something we know we shouldn't say. We have this thing, don't don't go there. And that's one of the ways out that the Lord gives us. There's also the way out of if you find yourself going there, if you're going, man, I feel like I'm being tempted, raise your hand and let people know. Around here, we talk about confessing at the seed level. I would rather confess a temptation that's not yet sin than confess the fruit that comes from that sin. And so I make a purpose too, and I would encourage you to do like, even if it's a temptation, raise your hand, get light on it, shine it on it now. And it has a way of taking out the root. What if you found yourself in desire or sin? What do you do? How does a good and perfect God relate to you then? He says there's still time to repent and to come. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions, that person will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. He says, come, repent, come, agree that you can't go that direction and and confess it and then forsake it. Let's go a completely different way. Let's get back onto the path of life. 
and he's ready to forgive. There's mercy waiting you, even if you've gone down this path or stuck in this path right now of desire and sin. Or maybe you look at this and you go, no, 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 I'm the person that sin has been fully grown and it brings forth death. If sin's left you for dead, I want to say these two words to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been there. I have been there. But I want you to know something. What feels like a moment where you've written your own death sentence, I just want to remind you something. God knows how to bring dead things back to life. And he's done it for a really long time. Psalm 68, 20 says, our God is to us a God of salvation and to him belong deliverances from death. You are not so far gone as to be outside of the incredible loving arms of our savior. And that's what James is crescendoing to. I don't know if there's a trial you're going through. I don't know if it's temptation you're going through, but I do know this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from our good God. And you may look at this and you may be so stuck in this that you're like, you, it, you th- must think I'm crazy for me to be even calling those of us dead in our sin to a single-minded, stable, and undefiled life. You're probably like, that's crazy. That's not gonna happen for me. That's impossible. And I just wanna tell you, I don't think you know quite how powerful and good our God is. He can do any number of things but he definitely can write your redemption and your rescue. And so wherever you are, whether you're in a trial or whether you're in a temptation, God is ready to help you. He is an ever present help in times of trouble. And he wants to walk with you. He's not looking at you from afar going, well, you shouldn't have gone that direction. I'm not coming for you. He will meet you wherever you're at and go with you. And it begs the question for us of just, man, who else is like this God? Who, like our God, has good and perfect gifts at his disposal in his right hand are riches forevermore? Who, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is this that rescues us and redeems us and saves us and sanctifies us? What kind of God is this? That even as it says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. He's the one that initiates. He's the one that moves towards us. It's not works. It's of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of our truth so that then we should respond. It says, so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's Old Testament language. First fruits was this idea of um, when a harvest came, you would set aside some, some of the first fruit and offer them up so that the rest of the harvest could be blessed. And so take that into account for you and me, those of us, how are we as believers supposed to act? Well, the illusion here is that we've been set apart so that we might be a blessing for the rest. And so that's James 1, 2 through 18. We have this incredible God that's with us through trials. We have this incredible God that's gonna meet us in temptations and go this way. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org.
You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.